0: I was in an elementary Sunday school class, and my teacher presented the gospel, and I believed and God saved me. I was 18 years old. I was at a church in my hometown. I was 7 years old at Sunday school. I was 9 years old. I was 6 years old after Sunday school. I was a freshman in high school at a summer camp when the gospel was presented to me. So when God did a work in my heart, I believed, and God saved me. Well, good morning, church. Aren't you so grateful for the means by which God brought you to faith in Christ? Just for a moment, take a couple seconds and just go back in your time, your lifetime, and remember that moment where Christ brought you to faith, where you remembered and you saw the beauty of Jesus, his death on the cross for you, where that made sense, where the gospel hit your heart. Can you just go back and remember that moment just for a second, whether it was a parent a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, or a friend. Everyone who has faith in Christ has a story similar to what you just heard. As we study 1 Peter this year, we're going to have many opportunities to give God glory for what he has done in our lives, both in our conversion and in our sanctification. Church, if you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. And just a reminder, if you have your journals, I'll ask you to open up to week chapter three, week three. And in there are some uh, opportunities for you to take some notes and small group questions as well. If you have not yet gotten one of these, I'd love to give you one. You can meet me out in the gym or one of our volunteers and we'd love to give you one for free. So uh, swing by and and we'll give you one. For uh, Christmas this year, my wife's sister gave our family a VR headset. Are you familiar with this virtual reality? It's, it's incredible. It's absolutely amazing. Virtual reality gives you the opportunity to see things you don't normally see in a typical day. For instance, a couple weeks ago, I got to go to the top Floor of the observation level in the Eiffel Tower and stare at the city of Paris. Just kind of walk around the observation tower and stare at the beautiful city of Paris. Then, just a few minutes later, I got to walk on the Great Wall of China. It's amazing, just beautiful, the landscape. And then just a few minutes later, I was at the summit of Mount Everest. Absolutely incredible, and just got to look around and see the beautiful mountains and the scenery. And you see, virtual reality lets you see what can be very difficult to see. Because what I have right in front of me is my life, my circumstances, my situation, cold Iowa. But what exists is the beauty of God's creation and wonder and majesty but because of travel and expenses and things like that, it can be very difficult to remember what beautiful creation God has given to us to enjoy and to to see. Our text today beautifully shows us, again, the wonder and splendor of our salvation. Our salvation is real, and always present, but in our ordinary day-to-day lives, many times we fail to see it and wonder at its beauty. You see, many times the sufferings that are right in front of us, our current circumstances, our life, it keeps us from seeing the glories of what God has given to us. And we get discouraged and frustrated and 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 skeptical, and we doubt the goodness of God because all we see is what's right in front of us. And so today, let's put on our virtual reality glasses and allow God's word to show us what's true, what's real, even though maybe this week you had a hard time seeing it. So let's take a few moments today and allow the word of God to show us the beauty of our Savior and our salvation. Our text today is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and I'd like to read it for you uh, today. It says this, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What a beautiful text we have today. I would really encourage you to focus and and try to memorize these three verses sometime this week. These three verses will bless your soul and remind you of God's goodness as you go on. So spend some time a little bit this week trying to work on those three verses. What I wanna show you today Is what our text, I believe, outlines for us. I think our text today shows us four things or reminds us of four things. It'll show us, first of all, the one worthy of all blessing. We just sung about this. He's worthy of all blessings. We're going to see who he is and why he's worthy of all blessings. The second thing we'll see today is the one worthy of blessing blesses us. Absolutely incredible. The one that owns all things, the ruler of all things, is the one who pours out his love on us us. The third thing we'll see is the blessing. What does he pour out upon us? And lastly, we'll see our response. How we as recipients of all this blessing should respond and act and live. If you look in your text, you'll see that verse 3 starts a new paragraph and it goes through about verse 13. Verse 3 is the main point of that paragraph. Verse 3 tells us the main point and then verses 4 through 13 prove that point. And what is the main point that we learn? Blessed be God. That's the main point of this paragraph. And then the remaining verses prove that he is worthy of all blessings by telling us what he has done and what he has done for us. So I wanna start with the one worthy of blessing and be reminded of how great and and wonderful he is. That word blessed, is an interesting word. It's not a common word that you and I use today. More commonly, we use the words like praise, or honor, or worship, but that word is beautiful. And I wanna explain it to you just for a second. That word blessed literally means to speak well of. The last time you were at a funeral, you heard a eulogy. That's that word, blessed to speak well of, to eulogize, to to tell of greatness and wonder. So that's the word that is used here. But that word blessed is so much bigger than just to speak well of. Because what Peter does is he uses it as an arrow. Because what he wants to do for you is help you see a narrative that's been told throughout all of scripture, that God is blessed. Peter loves to do this. He loves to point you back to the Old Testament. Throughout this book, we're gonna look at different themes. We're gonna look at themes such as sacrifice and the temple. And we're gonna look at a lot of Old Testament themes because I think Peter loved the Old Testament and he wants us to see it as well. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse three is an arrow back to the Old Testament when he uses the word blessing, So let's just for a moment, think back to your Old Testament and think about a reference or a story that uses that word blessing. Can you for a moment? Your Bible knowledge, Old Testament stories that involve the idea of blessing. While you think of it, let me describe an Old Testament blessing for you and then we'll use one as an example. In the Old Testament, mainly there were two requirements for a blessing if someone was gonna receive a blessing, there were things that had to be true uh, for them to receive this blessing. You see, not just anyone received a blessing. The first requirement that was true was that person had to have met a specific criteria. There are things that had to have been true of that individual. For instance, a lot of times blessings were poured out upon children, the heirs. They had to be related, family members, um, there were many times that the firstborn son would be the recipient of a blessing. Many times there would be royalty or nobility or somebody of great fame or honor that would receive a blessing. So there had to be something that was true of them in the past that made them worthy to receive a blessing. The second thing, uh, oh, that, that's why, before I move on, that is why I think Peter tells us in verse three, blessed be Who? God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's helping us see that God the Father meets specific requirements to deserve blessing. He could have just said it, blessed be God. Good, there it is, it's true. But he helps teach us the truth about who God is and why God is worthy of blessing. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He roots it in the criteria that God has met. The second thing that had to be true in order for someone to meet, uh, to receive a blessing, is they had to currently meet specific criteria. There had to be things that were still true of them. Again, we'll take that family analogy. That person had to be in an upstanding relationship. That relationship had to be solid and intact for them to receive that blessing. For somebody could lose a blessing or uh, the father could choose who to pour that blessing uh, uh, out upon. Again, not just anyone gets blessed. People with a relationship get blessed. Who you currently were matters. And again, this is why I think in our text, Peter tells us again what God is like. He doesn't just tell us who God is. He tells us what God is like. He says that God is great in mercy. That's who he is. That's why he's worthy of blessing because he's great in mercy. Then later in our text, it says by God's power. So Peter, again, roots that blessing in who God is and what he is like. He is merciful and he is powerful. That's why he is worthy of blessing. You see, it's those types of people that were worthy of blessing of which God is both and therefore worthy of all blessings because he is the epitome of those things. And then there's a couple of more interesting things that are true about Old Testament blessings. Old Testament blessings involved two things. It involved a verbal blessing and a tangible blessing. Again, the word eulogy, you, primarily think of a verbal blessing, to speak well of them. And that was true in an Old Testament blessing. The person would say nice things about them or or honor them with their words. But then in these Old Testament blessings, there would be tangible blessings as well. They would either be given things or be given a promise of things to come. Think of your Old Testament stories. There was always something that was given to them when they were blessed. So as you racked your brain for an Old Testament reference of blessing, probably the most common is the story of Isaac and his sons in Genesis chapter 27. So Isaac is the father and he has two sons. He has Esau and Jacob. And Esau is the oldest brother, and he's the favorite son. Yeah, oldest son and the favorite son. Remember, Esau's the hairy one. He likes to hunt and cook things uh, and bring meat home. And then uh, Jacob is the one that likes to stay home, and, and, and he's his mom's favorite. You remember that kind of contentious relationship that the two brothers had? Well, um, Isaac is coming to the end of the life, he believes and he's starting to lose his sight. He doesn't know how much more time he's gonna have with his his sons. And so he brings Esau before him to give him a final blessing. You remember this story? So he tells Esau, go hunt and go bring me your, your best game and prepare a meal for me so that I can have this special moment with you, my son, and I can bless you. And then Jacob and Jacob's mom come up with a plan to connive and to steal and to cheat and to get that blessing. So Jacob puts on some hair and he comes into his, his father's room, pretending to be Esau in order to steal the blessing. You remember this story? And here is the blessing that Isaac gives to his son Jacob, who he thinks is Esau. Listen to this carefully and you'll notice the verbal blessing and the tangible blessing, both of them. It says this in Genesis chapter 27, verse 27. So he came near and kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. There's the verbal blessing. Ah, you smell so good, just like a field. There's that kind of eulogy to speak well of him. And now here's the tangible blessing. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So you'd see this this, um, example of an Old Testament blessing that involved specific requirements that person had to meet, had to be a son, had to be in a, a good standing relationship. And then the blessing involved both verbal and tangible blessings. And so what Peter's doing is he's taking that idea and lumping that entire idea of blessing onto God and say, we're not talking about people right now, we're talking about God. God is the one worthy of all blessing for who he is and what he has done. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who because of his great mercy and his power deserves all blessing. No one on earth deserves more honor and blessing than God our Father. He is worthy of all blessings. Now let's look at the second phrase that our text teaches us. He is the one worthy of blessing, and now this amazing thing happens. The one worthy of blessing blesses us. That should make you pause for a second and think, this this can't be true. The one who deserves blessing isn't just amazing and wonderful, but he's generous. This all-powerful, merciful God is also a generous God who graciously gives. It's very sudden in our text, but it should still make us pause and reflect for a moment. This all-powerful, wonderful God loves us and he pours his love upon us. You see, God is very different than his creation. Here's the difference between God and you and I. We bless him according to merit, who he is and what he has done. We worship him because he's the maker of heaven and earth. We worship him because he's the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's merciful, he's powerful, he's worthy of praise and and blessing. But God blesses us according to mercy, not merit. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that good news? Think about this. For if God blessed according to merit, would you and I receive blessing? No, No. amen. We would not receive a blessing. Neither you nor I have merited God's blessing. Romans chapter three says, for all have sinned and fall short of his glory. We don't match up, but are justified by his grace as a gift. So this blessing we receive is a gift from him to us. This is what is so amazing about the blessing of the gospel. You and I have not met the specific criteria to deserve a blessing, especially from God, nor have we kept the law perfectly to merit any blessing, but we have a God who is rich in mercy and he lavishly gives people things they don't deserve. And now let's look at the next phrase he has caused. What does this text, what does this phrase teach us? It teaches us this, that in spite of our unworthiness, because of his great mercy, he has caused you and I to be born again. The mercy you and I have received, our salvation, our adoption, our new birth is all a result of God's work, or I wanna put it this way, God's movement towards us. He came for us. He came to get us and to save us. You see, in salvation, there is a cause and an effect. The cause our text teaches us is a God who moved towards us and who gives us a gift. The effect is our new birth, forgiveness and salvation. Let me help illustrate it this way to kind of let your brains take a break for just a second in a birth, how much work does the baby do? I'm by no means a doctor, but I have experienced, I've watched three births, and I think the baby does very little work. According to my experience, the parents do the work, right? The mom does the work, the mother does the laboring, that's why we call it labor, because it's work, and the father goes and gets the car seat. That was my experience, (laughs) at least so it's very hard work for both of us. In our birth story, my wife, Casey, she went through hours of pacing and pushing and crying, and I had to do the hard work of watching. It was both very challenging and difficult. And our poor nurses, I know they do a lot of things, but they had to do the very difficult task of running and getting me a Sprite because I was weak in the knees from what I was going through, my ordeal. It was very challenging. And what, and what do these sweet babies do? What is their role? What is their work in this process? Nothing. They simply go through the experience. What about in an adoption? Let's use this as a second example. In an adoption, how much work does the adopted baby do? I think the parents go through the paperwork. They go through the process. They pay the fees, they bring the child home. The child is the recipient of the work of the new parents. They get the gift of all the work the parents have done to bring them home. And for our third illustration, in our salvation, who does the work in our salvation? Our text clearly tells us God does the work to save helpless babies like you and me. And what is the work? Our text tells us, what was the work? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That was the work that saved you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The work of the Trinity, as verses one and two tells us, is the result of our salvation. The Father sent the Son, the Son lays down his righteous life on the cross, and the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the grave. It was his work so that we could be saved. Our salvation is a result of the work of God on our behalf. One commentator I read while I was preparing for today put it this way. In our salvation, the Father sought us, the Son bought us, and the Holy Spirit taught us. We receive. Isn't that beautiful? Or another beautiful text, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter chapter eight puts it this way. God foreknew, God predestined, God called, God justified, God will glorify. What was your role? You're a recipient. You received this beautiful gift of salvation. And then again, let's just keep working through our text. Now let's notice the familial terms Peter uses here as he describes our salvation. He says this, he says, you are born again, a family term, and then to an inheritance. He's teaching you about the family you've received in your salvation. Most of the time, who gets gets an inheritance? It's kids, it's children, it's sons and daughters. In our salvation, not only are we forgiven, but we're adopted. We, are at one, we at one time became legitimate sons and daughters of the blessed God. Isn't that crazy? We're in. Because of what he did for us, we're in. We're in the royal family because of what he did for us. The good news of the gospel is that God the Father has adopted unworthy, undeserving kids through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is why we must be born again so that we can meet the specific criteria of the blessing and become rightful heirs who get blessing. Another story that I think comes to mind as you read our text and think about the word born again, for sure has to be John chapter three. In John chapter three, we met. Uh, we meet a man named Nicodemus. Listen to John chapter three describe Nicodemus. Uh, uh, yeah, Nicodemus. Let me describe for you Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee and he's a ruler of the Jews. So here's Nicodemus' resume. He's a religious leader He's a ruler, by all human mind, he has merited a lot of favor, right? He's got titles, he's got pedigree, he's got degrees, like everything about this guy, he's pretty prestigious until he meets Jesus. And then all those go away. Nicodemus was a religious ruler, but his religious role did not merit him blessing from a righteous God. Even he needed to be born again into the family of God so that he could become a rightful heir. Even he needed mercy because he didn't have merit. If anybody could have gotten in, it would have been Nicodemus, right? If anybody would have earned his way into heaven, into God's glory, into God's goodness, it would have been Nicodemus. And yet Jesus says to him, oh, Nicodemus, you must be born again. So church, I just have a question for you real quick before we move on. Have you been born again? Have you experienced the mercy of God that is ours only in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? There's only two answers, yes or no. Have you been born again? Have you experienced the new life that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? And the only answer is to be yes or no. If No, if you have not, today, receive the free gift of faith. In Christ is the only way to God. Many times this looks like a simple prayer of thanks. Heavenly Father, God, thank you that you would love a sinner like me. Thank you, God, for sending your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins, to take my place. I'm completely unworthy of it, but I receive your free gift. Thank you for forgiving me. A simple prayer, many times it looks like that ownership of faith. In the video we showed at the beginning, there were very simple stories like that. Becky and RJ and Stan all shared their simple stories of conversion where somebody simply did their job and told them the good news of Jesus and then God miraculously saved them. Have you been born again? And for those of you that the answer is yes, you have been born again, can we just give God the credit he deserves? If you have been born again, there seems to be in the life of every child of God a moment when the spirit of God opened your eyes to the truth of Jesus. As you walked in today, there probably was something noticeable on a wall. We're calling it our salvation timeline. Right inside the west doors as you walked in, there's this wall. And what we're asking is that every one of, we, we wanna ask every single one of you this question. When did God cause you to be born again to a living hope? We are asking everyone who has faith in Christ to give credit by simply drawing a line at the age you came to faith. Does that make sense? So you got a timeline here. If you're older than 100, I don't know what to tell you, but... Uh So when you came to to faith in Christ, just draw a simple line. See this line that's about at the age six? That's my line. When I was six years old, my parents went to church and probably to get a little bit of peace and quiet, they sent me to the children's ministry room and my Sunday school teacher did her job. What is her job? To tell me about Jesus to tell me about the love and forgiveness and grace and mercy of Jesus. And so she simply did that. She took a bunch of raggedy six-year-olds and said, hey, God loves you. And he loves you so much that, much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for your sins. And even though you're six, you're in your sin and you need to repent and you need to accept the free gift of forgiveness. And she said, if any of you'd like to do that today, Would you just simply raise your hand? And I'm like, that sounds like a great deal. I bring my sin to the table and he gives me forgiveness and righteousness and and I get adopted into the family of God, I'm in. I'll take that deal. And by God's grace, he opened up my eyes. He took the blinders off my eyes. He let the scales fall from my eyes. And even as a six year old, I saw the wonder and majesty of God, my father, who sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. When did that day happen for you? To the best of your ability, on your way out, every single one of you, there's a little red marker, and just write a line at about the age you think you came to faith. What our hope is, is that we would just have hundreds of testimonies of God's goodness to sinners like us. Can we just, for one simple illustration, give him credit for what he has done for us? We want this wall to be a testimony of God's salvation, of his work in our lives. But then let's just keep moving. A blessing doesn't just involve speaking well of, the word eulogy, but it involves tangible blessings as well. 1 Peter 1 gives us a list of some of these tangible blessings. Let's look at those for a second. Let me read them for you in our text. This is how Peter words them. He says, the first one is to a living hope the second one is to an inheritance. And the third one is for a salvation. That's how Peter words the list of the blessings that we've received. I've kind of just summarized them this way. Maybe they'll be a little bit more memorable. Number one, living hope. Number two, an imperishable inheritance. And number three, a secure salvation. Let me just take a minute on each of these and explain them to you. Living A living hope, this is a new reality. It's confidence, it's boldness. One definition of a living hope is joy in the midst of suffering. Hope in the midst of suffering. You see, these people that Peter was writing to were facing strong persecution, but their new life in Christ gave them boldness and confidence to face anything. A faith that God's got this. It would have been terrible to be a follower of Jesus in the first century, terrible. But God gave them a living hope so that they could endure. So they would stay strong and they would fight the good fight. One of my favorite stories has to be Acts chapter 16, where we meet uh, Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas have had a very difficult day. Let's listen to it as, it, as it's written. Acts chapter 16, verse 23 says this. After they had been severely flogged, how was your week? Probably not that bad, right? After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. The worst possible day imaginable, severely flogged, thrown in a Roman prison. I'd be pretty depressed. Paul and Silas are celebrating, singing and praying to God so loud that the other prisoners were listening to them. Church, why were Paul and Silas singing? Because in the midst of difficulty, they had a living hope. They knew God's got this. He's so good. His love is so great. This is fine. Based on what I have, this doesn't matter. I'm okay. Church, I have a question for you. Are you currently displaying this living hope in the midst of your circumstances or does your life and responses to your life look the same as the world around you. Are you any different? I can only imagine Paul and Silas and if you compared them to the other prisoners, there's probably a noticeable difference. How Paul and Silas were responding and the other prisoners were responding. Does your life reflect that today? Is there a living hope inside of you that makes you look different than the culture around you? You see, I think it's so beautiful When does singing get the most notice? Probably in the jail cell, not in a temple. It's probably pretty normal to walk in here and to hear people singing. But in the midst of hard circumstances, are you singing? Are you rejoicing, are you praying, are you giving God glory in your difficult circumstances? Or is singing a thing you do at church when it's easy and and safe and comfortable? Number two, an imperishable inheritance. Again, this is an Old Testament reference. One of the promises given to Abraham was that of land, referred to many times as an inheritance. You see, to, to exiles, remember uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses one, we learn that this letter is written to elect exiles. You see, to exiles, the greatest promise would be one of land or a home. Can you, be, can you imagine being a refugee? What would a refugee want more than anything? A home, a place to call their own, a place that they're safe and welcomed and warmed. God here is promising exiles that they will one day no longer be exiles, but instead children in their father's home forever. You and I may wander this earth for 80 years or so, but one day we will go home and that inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading and protected in heaven. All your stuff is fading, but your eternal home is there forever. Are you living today as if heaven is your forever home or the home you purchased is your forever home? One of the things Pastor Todd reminds us often is that stuff is tools, not treasures. But you and I struggle with this on a daily basis where we treasure our tools instead of using our tools for their rightful purpose to bring God honor and glory. So do people around you notice that your things are merely just tools and not treasures? Do you ever invite people into your lovely home and they're amazed at your hospitality? Like, oh, I'm gonna get your carpets dirty. Who cares? Come on in. We'd love to have you. Come on in, eat a meal. You mean my kids too? They're gonna destroy your place. We don't care. It's just a house. Come on in. We'd love to have you. Are people shocked when you let them borrow your truck and they're like, I'm gonna ding your truck? And you're like, it's a truck. It's meant to have rocks in it. Come on, use it. Let me be a blessing to you. How can I use this? For God's honor and glory. See, we struggle with treasuring tools, church, when all of them are just meant to be used by God for his honor and glory, because we have a forever, forever home in heaven waiting for us. So all this stuff is just tools. The last one, a secure salvation. The Greek word is soteria, and it's a really interesting word. It means salvation or deliverance, And deliverance is sure and will one day be made visible, people. Our salvation, our eternal salvation, our deliverance is sure. Again, this would be very good news to exiles. Last week, we talked about these idea of chosen wanderers. They feel lost, they feel alone, but they're completely loved and known by God. See, their present reality is not what it felt like because their future is sure and guarded by God's power, which will one day be revealed or proven. Church, how sure is your salvation, your eternal salvation? It is guarded by God. Of course, our salvation is sure. Of course, eternity is, is guaranteed. It's guarded by God the Father. Our eternal salvation should not be something we waver on and wonder and worry about. You see, church, every other religion doesn't offer a secure salvation because they put it in the people's laps. Every other religion is works-based and it's up to you. You don't know if you're in or not. Work your whole life hoping if you're good enough. Make it in. Only Christianity, only because of a risen Savior, do we have a sure salvation. So how sure is your salvation? It couldn't be more safe. It's guarded by God himself in heaven for us. Church, take, take a look at this list of blessings just for a moment. And then just remember, look at verse six, 1 Peter chapter six. It says various trials or trials of many kinds. I don't know what you guys are facing right now, But this list should keep you going. This list should give you the power you need, the motivation you need to keep living for God, to continue to honor him, to make much of him. See, Peter knew that the thing these followers of Jesus needed most was a reminder of what was already theirs. It would be the promise of God that kept them going, even during very difficult circumstances. And then lastly, church, what's our response? What do we do now? We hear that God is blessed, he's worthy of all blessings. We see that this blessed God blesses us. We see the list of all of our blessings and it could just stay at head knowledge, like, man, this is great, this is awesome, this is wonderful, but what do we do? What's our response? I wanna look at the first word again of verse three. Blessed be God. What is our response? We bless him. That's our response, that's our life's calling, that's our life's purpose, to bless him, to bring him the praise, honor, and glory that he is deserving of. Our life should be one of blessing him. And I wanna just give you three tangible ways that we can do this this week. Number one, bless him with our words. And in here, I just wanna include your prayers, talking to him, God loves it when you communicate with him, when you spend time just talking about him. This includes evangelism, literally talking well about him to others, sharing his goodness and kindness to others around you, and the lastly, singing. If Paul and Silas can sing beaten and shackled, you and I should be willing to sing in our current circumstances, isn't that true? Man, let's sing out, let's be loud, he's worthy of our singing. Or is this one hour the only time a week that you praise him with your song? No one is more worthy of praise than God. He deserves your eulogy, your verbal blessings. We should speak well about him. Number two, honor him with your life. God does not just desire your well wishes. He doesn't just want your verbal praise, he wants your life. And all of our life is one of of worship and service and one of praise and worship to God. He wants everything about your day to bring him honor and glory, not just your lip service. So worship him with your actions and your attitudes and your life's mission and your life's goal. Your life's goal should bring to bring, to be to bring honor and glory to God in every circumstances. And I think so many times we set goals of retirement and financial independence instead of just making much of God and he wants us to honor him with our entire life, no matter how many years he gives us. And then lastly, how do we honor him? How do we worship him? Remember his son's sacrifice. He told us, he brought us, he made us born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. The greatest gift he's given us is that of his son. And to remember his sacrifice is to give God honor and worship and glory. In 1 Corinthians, he tells us that the best, one of the best things we can do is to remember his son's sacrifice through the act of communion. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So even in communion, it's a tangible blessing, an act of worship to him, and it's a verbal blessing. We are declaring the Lord's death, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.